How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Hello, Dr. Joe. Hello, Mark Stiles of Stiles Law. Isn't that fun? That was nice. I uh, I didn't expect to hear my name well, at the beginning of the show. You are you are part of the show. Mark. I am part of the show. The Doctor Joe Show, yeah, exploring who we are and why we do what we do. We have an awesome guest tonight, don't we? Incredible guest. One of the greatest human beings on the planet, in my opinion. Absolutely. Oh, stop, guys. <laughs> oh no no no. We have here the chief of police in Marshfield, Phil Tavares, chief. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me in tonight. It is great having you here. And part of the reason why we have the chief of police here is because we have, I hate to say it, a pretty hot topic. It is white hot, Joe. It is. We're, we're just going to open the discussion up, folks. We're talking about guns. Just so we can talk about guns, we have to have the discussion. Things are happening right now. They've happened before. Things may happen again. But... We're going to open it up to everyone to talk about guns. Your point of view of it, it's just as important as anybody's point of view. So, Joe, this is a really hot topic. Yep. Business owner like myself gets very uh, squeamish when talking about political topics. Why is that, Mark Stiles? Well, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, there are people that have very, very strong feelings one way or another on this. And I will tell you, I understand both sides i understand the you will not take this gun from me unless it is in my cold dead hands i get that and i get the other side of it of the people who say why do we need guns what is the need to have these assault rifles and semi-automatic weapons and the weapons that are modified to be automatic and these Bump stocks? Bump stocks. Well, Should we talk about the bump stocks, Well, show? you know, the, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. I had at 5.48 this afternoon. Uh, Should we first have Chief explain what a bump stock actually is? Because I, th- I didn't know what it was today when I was being explained I think that's what gonna, was going on. Well, I think we should bump it right over to him. Let's go bump it to Chief. Chief, what's a bump stock? Well, in, in relatively simple terms, it's something that can fit over the, the receiver of the gun in the stock and essentially turns a semi-automatic weapon into a, f- a fully automatic weapon. It allows you to fire the, the uh, weapon much more rapidly. And so this, the stock of a gun then is, yes. what, what part is the stock? Well, well the part that you, if you were gonna put it up against your shoulder. Ah. So you, put, you pull your finger back on the trigger rather right. than a semi-automatic, you're pop, 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 you have to pull, 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 pull. Right. You pull it once and it'll bump back and forth and keep shooting it like an automatic. So it's sort of like like on a on a cell phone, right? When you've got that that function where you, you press down on the picture and it just like shoots hundreds of pictures all at once without yes. anything happening. I'm you, not you, sure I have that app, but I have it. You're exactly. You know right. what I mean? And so you you think you're taking one picture of someone, and the next thing you know, oh, you've got I like gotcha. this this multiple yeah. that takes up all your memory. But it cuts out the blinks. It cuts right. out the blinks. You could pick S- one. So this and this uh, obviously is part of what happened in. Las Vegas. 
Yes, he modified his weapon to with a bump stock, right, Chief? Yes, but, that's my understanding. Very troubling, very disturbing. It's that easy to do? Yes. Well, there's a business. The, the, there's a manufacturer that makes these bump stocks who, as of today, is probably out of business, from you what I understand. Why? At least in Massachusetts. At least in Massachusetts. And I think there's a, there's a bill on the floor um, in Washington, D.C. as well. So yep. Massachusetts has uh, the Senate voted today unanimously That's right. to outlaw those in Massachusetts. That's right. And, and, I, and I got this uh, from uh, Senator Patrick O'Connor this afternoon saying just that. I'm going to read it. Mass Senate just restricted the use of bump stocks in Massachusetts. It passed unanimously, unanimously, first state in the nation in response to the tragedy in Las Vegas. So that's one side of the table. It's one side. There's another side that is going to be very upset that that happened, and they're going to say that this is an emotional decision, that people are taking taking a, a stand on it because of what happened in Las Vegas. And the NRA is not going to like the decision, and they're going to fight this pretty vigilantly. I'm just going to ask, ask you this, Mark, if you don't mind. Why does, why does just talking about guns make you nervous? <coughs> you know, it's more the, the hot topic. You know, it's like uh, religion and politics. Those aren't conversations that you're going to see me talking about publicly very often, if at all. Mm -hmm. Guns I see in that same realm because there are folks that are very, very one-sided on both sides of this issue. Yeah. And you're going to upset one side of those people. Yeah. And so even as a business owner, people can't separate, you think, that you do this incredible work <laughs> in real estate but because you have, and, I'm, and you, you, you're not declaring a position, but if you declared a position, certain folks would say, you know, I care so much about that position, I'm not gonna go get my best real estate lawyer around to help me. Uh, maybe, so I'm not going to try to figure that out, right? No. Nope. Because there are, it's very passionate for a lot of people, yep. and if they think opposite of the way I think, which, I mean, quite frankly, I'm, I'm on neither side of that aisle. I've uh, fired a weapon, but I don't own a weapon. Mm -hmm. I understand the need for weapons. I understand the danger of the weapons. So, but people are very passionate. I have friends, relatives, very, very passionate on opposite sides of the aisle on that one. Chief, you, you got a, a comment on this? Well, you can never do too much when it comes to security. Um, um, and when there's a w where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, they'll f find a way around it, uh, that which has been done before. Um, they'll shoot their way through it. Uh, we saw that um, at Sandy Hook mm -hmm. when he shot through. The, the doors were locked, and he shot his way in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at, in uh, just in Las Vegas, we saw the uh, security guard was shot. Uh, prior yeah, with to all the, the cameras in Las Vegas, somebody moving all that weaponry into their room. I mean. There's a will, there's a way. Well, I, you know, it, go ahead, Chief. No, I was just going to say that the, there's certainly, in my opinion, um, some types of weapons that the general public shouldn't be allowed to have. However, that being said, guns don't kill people. People kill people. Right. You know, there's um, a seriously mentally ill person in the United States is, they say, three times more likely to be in 
incarcerated and hospitalized where they belong they belong to you know where they can be treated mm. and helped um, you know again where there's a will there's a way we've seen people driving vehicles through crowds of people yeah you take you know they'll just change the method to something else and, and then when we adapt to that they'll change it again they'll change the venue to softer targets I think it's uh, I think it's about uh, a number of different issues here not just about guns yeah, and I hopefully we'll get to some of that. So we are onto something, right? It's it's not just the gun; it's the the person, right? And it it implies that. See, I, as a psychiatrist, I I am very cautious about saying that you know anybody who kills somebody else has got to have a mental illness, because that stigmatizes so many people with psychiatric conditions who have no no not a violent intent in the world, not a violent thought. But what we're really talking about is how do you determine when someone is perhaps so angry or sad or worried that they do feel a need to either protect themselves, which is one reason we have guns, or to go out and do harm. So, so we, we, we started to touch on that last week we when did. we were talking about the fellow from uh, Las Vegas and the potential that he wasn't mentally ill, Yeah. right? And... Um, that was uh, that was difficult for me to get my head around because, like many people I know, they believe that if somebody were to take somebody else's life, then something is me- something is missing in their mental health. Right? There's something potentially off. Maybe they're depressed. Maybe they're schizophrenic. Maybe not that, but there's something that isn't right that allows them to take that next leap where you may disagree with me that the, somebody perfectly sane could make that knowledgeable decision to do that. Chief, what was on your mind? Well, you, you had mentioned that uh, you didn't want to talk about necessarily the uh, person in Las Vegas having any type of mental illness, but um, if you rule out um, gang killings, and you, and you rule out multiple family members that are murdered, and you can't find a motive, and this person is just randomly se- selecting people in public, you'd have to agree that there's something wrong with his thought process. Yeah, and I, I'm, not, I'm not disputing that part, but I'm just saying that, that globally, folks with, with psychiatric conditions should not be labeled as, as violent people because... Well, no, Many I don't think that's that's and what we were saying. I, I know that I know okay. that isn't, but but I think that that's that's what happens. Yeah, and, and, and so my my profession, you know, y- you see somebody who comes into a psych hospital. Somebody may think, well, you know that that would be a person that I wouldn't trust. Right, and that's really that's where the stigma right. happens. So you know that that that's that's a, a part of the discussion, but but really we're talking about guns and people's thoughts and feelings and then chief you you've got some material you want to tell us first i didn't realize we, we were talking off air i didn't realize that you could with with a parent signature be able to use a you can at uh, at age 15 with a parent signature you can get a firearms identification card and that would allow you to to possess a firearm uh, a long gun or a shotgun uh, you could go hunting with a family member if you got a hunting license um, but uh, you have to be 21 years of age to have a license to carry, which would uh, then allow you to carry like a handgun, or, you know, a pistol or a revolver. 
Mm-hmm. And and what about here in Marshfield? I mean, there are numbers of people with guns in Marshfield. Uh, there are thousands. Thousands of people with guns in Marshfield. Yes. Does wow. that make you nervous, Dr. Cho? I don't know what to say <laughs> to that, Mark. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm surprised. Not surprised. Is Marshfield unique in this? What about Situate, Duxbury? Uh, we are uh, larger than those communities. Our population. Yeah. Um, so a resident is able to apply for a, a gun permit in the community that they live in or somebody that owns a business in that community can apply in that a community for a gun permit. So because of our, our size being uh, larger than, say, Duxbury or Situate, we're probably just uh, by population going to have more permits than them. Um, it is up to the discretion of each individual chief in each individual community to determine whether a person is suitable, absent any lifetime disqualifiers. Hmm. How do they de- make that determination? Yeah, what's a lifetime disqualifier? Oh, it would be like um, you know having a conviction of a, a crime of violence, mm-hmm. uh, being convicted of a misdemeanor that has uh, punishment of over two years, um, drug convictions. So, am I missing something in this? That uh, let, let me let me know if this is right. That if you have like a um, concern about people flying on the air, right? That that yep. you can't you you you're, you're on a no fly list. Yeah, you can still get a gun. So, from a middle of the road point of view not saying there should not be any guns or not saying unrestricted access. Putting aside for a moment the socioeconomic components, the the anger, the sense of poverty, the sense of despair, the sense of unfairness, is it okay? I mean, and, and the chief has just told me, there, there, how many guns? It's United? estimated there's over 300 million guns in the United States. Okay, and there are about 300 million people. I mean, for, for me, that, that that number strikes me the same way that the opioid crisis number strikes me, because that's that's how many pills were were prescribed back in 2007. But you take a pill once, it's gone. These guns. So so if there are 300 million guns, how many bullets are there? A lot more than that. Right. Amer- Americans own more guns than any other citizens in any other country. And do we have a higher crime rate than any other country? I'm not are, sure. I'm are not sure. are no. we safer with this many guns? What 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 is the extent of the background check, and and is, is there a waiting period in Massachusetts? Too, well, if you want to start at the uh, at the very beginning, in Massachusetts is one of the strictest gun laws in in the country, and uh, you need to take a safety course first prior to uh, applying with us. Then you make an appointment with uh, John Toomey, who's our uh, firearms officer. Um, when you make the appointment with him, he takes your fingerprints down, and t- he uh, takes your photograph and processes your application. Then we conduct a state and local background check along with the Department of Mental Health check. There is a, a mental health check. Okay. Yes, there is. And then the fingerprints are sent to the uh, state police for an FBI check na- uh, nationwide. And when all those checks um, come back and everything's okay, uh, it takes about uh, you know uh, eight to ten weeks for approval. Eight to ten eight weeks. To, 10 to weeks. get the license. Okay. There are no... Um, once you have the license, uh, if you go to a regular dealer, there is a background check. But one of the troubling areas in Massachusetts is, is that when private sales, I sell a gun to you or you sell one to me, there, there is no immediate background check right there. Hmm. Which is but not yet the s- weapons are registered, right? So, well, so, you you could, would, you so if, if the seller of that weapon sold it to a 17-year-old kid... 
they would be able to trace that through a registry, right? Yes, as long as it was registered properly the first yeah. time. So that's not the, quite the same thing as with cars, right? I mean, you can't sell a car without a title. Without a title. Right. There's the far side, one place, no guns ever. The other, no restrictions on guns, stuff in the middle. Off air, we were talking about how can we create a registry. Is there a registry for guns? Yes. So what, what do we have, Chief? Well, you, you, you have to, uh, when you purchase a weapon, you have to register it. Uh, with the state. Okay. Now, I if you register a gun and you go to buy another gun, does that first gun come up on the registry? Yes, we have access to all that. But would you access it? Because in, in, in medicine now, we, we have, you know, and some of our legislators have really done a great job on this. In order to address some of the prescription pain medications, we have access to a database that allows us to look at any individual patient and see what medications they have received uh, over the last amount of time. Well, where there are no, and, th and that's very important, I agree, uh, when we're talking about uh, opiates and, and the, you know, the dangers that we're facing with that. Right now, there are no restrictions on how many weapons somebody can um, collect. I mean, there's collectors that have, you know, hundreds if not thousands of weapons. So there are no restrictions there. Where that information would become uh, valuable to me is if they became the subject of uh, a restraining order or for some reason uh, due to their behavior I needed to uh, revoke or suspend their license to carry, I would look up how many weapons they have registered to them and um, I would want to make sure that uh, I was able to account for all of those to be turned over to the police department along with their license in the event that we needed to take it away. But is that indicative of how many weapons they actually have? Is this a voluntary registration or is this mandated? I mean, there's a there's not a title, there's not a, a piece of paper that passes hands between gun owners, is there? Oh, yeah, yes, there is. Okay. But the uh, the larger problem is, and, and again, this isn't with the lawfully, uh, the people that are lawfully possessing right. these firearms, but, you know, so many people have inherited, you know, their grandfather's, um, you know, hunting rifles or shotguns or, you know, somebody in the family passes away and these things get handed down and they were never uh, registered. Uh, subsequent to uh, to the act that required that. So there's lots of weapons out there that aren't registered. Or if they are registered, they're registered to people that passed a long time ago. Mm. So how does a weapon go from being lawfully registered to having it sold illegally and the registration number scratched out and then all of a sudden it's in the... Well, that's a serious felony, uh, obliterating the serial numbers. But, um, you know, uh, usually when they're stolen. Uh, if it's lawfully registered and there's a house break, um, if they're improperly secured, um, unfortunately, if they're left somewhere and they fall into the wrong hands is, is when you'll see uh, the serial numbers obliterated and then uh, you'll find them out on the street. So anyone in possession of a weapon that has the obliterated registration oh, has committed the crime? Yeah, it's a serious felony. If they're in possession of that weapon? Correct. Got it. And in your experience in the force, have, have you stumbled upon guns like that that have had their registration obliterated? Yes, we have. And there's ways to bring it back. Uh, the state police uh, lab does a fantastic job. They use acid and some other components to try to raise the numbers back up. Hmm. To figure out who sold it improperly? Well, to figure, out, to figure out who the last person was that owned it. And then figure out what they did with it or what happened. Did, yep. they, did they file a police report for having it been stolen, et cetera? Yes. Got it. And if, if you do have a firearm stolen, 
what you have to what immediately is, report it. You have to immediately report it. And who do you report it to? Well, they would report it to the local police department and we forward that off to the colonel and the state police. Okay. So there really is a, this process. We have a, a dilemma, though, in the United States because we, we have certain communities where people, you know, innocently, uh, recreationally are using firearms. We have, a, we have a shooting range here in Marshfield, right? right. Sure. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But at what point do we say there is now a dangerous situation? Do we are we at that point in the United States? We've had a series of, of mass murders uh, over the last decade or more. I mean, starting I think Columbine is probably one that that everybody remembers that started things. Sandy Hook. I mean, all of these ones. Are we are we in trouble? Are we doing something wrong? Well, certainly. Um 30 of the deadliest shootings in the United States dating back to 1947 that you know have been recognized but 17 of them have occurred in the last 10 years wow. so the the wow. and there's a different definition uh, by different sources on what you would consider to be a mass murder um, a general definition would be the killing of four or more people where they select their victims uh, randomly and they attack in a, a public place. And it isn't the result of, you know, like I said earlier, like a gang shooting or, you know, uh, a crime of passion with family members or so on and so forth. So with Just that definition. Just a random act of violence. Yes. So there has been um, an increase in mass shootings um, across our country, and it's a phenomenon just to the United States. Mm. Um, you know, we do have the most, the most weapons, whether the most weapons the most problems, but um, it's a significantly small number of, of um, people that whose life has been taken as the result of a mass murder. Um, moreover, most uh, homicides by firearms are the result of a suicide. Yeah, and that that would bring us back to some mental health issues. That's that is true. That is true. It's a uh, it's such a dilemma though. So, the last ten years. 17 of them over the last 10 years? Yes, uh, Las Vegas, uh, the Las Vegas attack was the deadliest shooting in modern United States history, where there was uh, at least 58 killed. Um, and, you know, 10 years before that, in 2007, was the Virginia Tech, the Virginia Tech mm -hmm. uh, murders. There were 32 people murdered there. And there were a lot of lessons learned from that, too, about security, w and we can get into that later. Um, and a year before that was uh, the second deadliest shooting, the Orlando nightclub uh, shooting. So. Um, you know, we're, we're unfortunately hearing about these more and more often. What do you think, Dr. Joe, what would attribute that to the last 10 years? I mean, what is going on that wasn't going on 15 or 20 years ago? I've got some ideas on that. Well, let's hear it. Chief, let's hear your ideas. You know, society has changed. I mean, our society has become more violent. Our children are but playing. Why? Well, our children are playing those M-rated video games okay. where they're stealing cars, they're on police pursuits, they're stabbing and shooting people. They're killing people for hours at end in a video game. So they're uh, numb to it. Y exactly. Uh, in addition to that, you've heard some of these um, rap songs and some music and the movies and in television. I mean, you know, there's violence everywhere. And the kids see this at an early age. Um, and uh, it seems to be acceptable in a way of life. And that's not a good start. Right, mm -hmm. and I think that that's uh, that's one area where it would start. And and you have a, a great phrase, I understand, right, about how to how to begin addressing this. Is it the 
keep them in sports and out of courts. Oh, yes. Love yes, uh, kids in sports stay out of courts, or kids in sports stay in the right courts. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's nice, too. I mean, but it's true. I mean, there's so many ways for our kids to be engaged, to do something productive. Th- this idea of, of exposure to violence, we know really that there's a lot of, of truth to that. We, we, we've got a lot of literature to support it. It's hard to blame the media solely for this, but there's a, you know, in, in, in the newspaper business, in the TV business, there's a phrase, if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's what's really interesting. A long time ago, it was really important for us to be able to identify dangerous things. You know, f- from an evolutionary point of view, if you did not respond to the rustling in the bush behind you, there was a good chance you were lunch, right? Yeah. So you respond to that rustling in the bush, you run away. If you're wrong, okay, so you waste a little energy running away, but you're still alive. So we are fine-tuned to want to know about dangerous situations. But that then, I think, has escalated where we are becoming numb to these dangerous situations and to the point where there is one thing after the other. The other thing I'm, I, I get concerned about is the publicity that, that gets placed on right. folks who have created these mass murders. And unfortunately, there are some people out there who are desperate to be recognized for anything. It to doesn't be valued. Not, to be valued. Right? It's not a men- not mental illness. That's what people want. We simply want to feel valuable by someone else. And when we don't, all sorts of things can happen. So one of the one of the solutions to this isn't restricting guns. It's never giving a person a reason to use it. By by reminding them always, they're pretty cool. They're valuable. You don't need to prove yourself in some way. Some of these people don't have that friend or family member that can do that and reinforce that with them. A lot of these people are uh, shut out on their own or have shut people out. Yeah, but they don't necessarily need to be. I agree with you. I agree with you, but that that's part of what what I try to do, that's part of what the I am approach, which we can talk about, is yeah. all about, that people are doing the best they can. Let's try to understand why they do what they do. And I think that is part of the root of what we need to do here. It's not about restricting guns or giving free access to guns. It really is about figuring out why, why do people use guns? What is the situation? What is going on with them? So if there's that, that time where some, somebody in a, in a family is so angry and outraged that they want to murder the rest of their family, I bet there are warning signs that we can pick up on that first. I would agree with you. Early on, and do some intervention that's not punitive, that's, that's compassionate. What's going on that you feel so desperate and so unloved and so angry that you just want to get rid of everyone? I bet we can, we can probably do that. Chief, we, we were talking a little bit off air about uh, the things that, that people have learned uh, about mass murders, but also about how we can do things um, better, how to address it and do things better. Yep. So sure. what you got? Well, it's, it's all about saving lives. And, uh, you know, we've learned a lesson from each one of these. And, you know, it started with Columbine, where before w- what uh, the police response would be would be to set up a perimeter around the school and wait for the SWAT team to go in and to handle the situation. Th- that philosophy changed immediately after that, where police, even if you're by yourself, you might be the school resource officer, you might be the first responding officer, you're going to go in and you're going to find where the noise is coming from and you're going to eliminate the threat. 
uh, even if you're by yourself, are the first one or two offices that arrive. So no mm. longer are we going to wait because, you know, the longer you wait, the more people th uh, can be killed or injured. Additionally, we're working closer with our fire departments um, across the country. Uh, we're seeing paramedics uh, wearing body armor and going in with a second team. So we'll have the, the contact team. We'll go in and hunt down uh, the active shooter, and we'll have a rescue team go in before you would just have to run by or step over people that are in, in need of medical attention. And unfortunately, they're dying right in front of the police, but they can't stop and provide medical attention. They have to go on after the active shooter. Well, we're bringing in paramedics in, in the second wave, um, even when it's still an active scene, to remove them um, and get them the treatment before they, they're left there to die. Um, we've learned uh, lessons from the Virginia Tech shooting where 32 people were killed that video surveillance and having access for the police to review that saves time. Uh, the, the, the thought at the time was that maybe that there was no way one person could have killed 32 people. There must be another person here and they have to clear that giant building before they can let anybody go in there to s potentially um, provide first aid. Uh, we learned that uh, he chained the doors from the inside. Um, two of the three doors were metal. The officers couldn't get through them. The third door was wood. They, they shot with the shotgun. They were able to enter um, that way. But officers now are carrying breach arounds, which essentially will just blow off any uh, lock that are on the doors. Uh, what's a breach around then? It, it, it's a, it, it has a, a greater impact uh, and it's able to penetrate with, you know, basically wow. um, break any, 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 break the door down yeah. um, much easier. Okay. Uh, it's a different type of round. So there's lessons that we've learned, um, unfortunately, with these events. But each time we learn something, we'll g it's given us a better ability um, with our training to save lives. So it's, it's, it's really creating a rapid response. And then when you're in there, I mean, to, to get people out quicker, too. You know, I, I'm so impressed and grateful for the courage that folks are showing, the police are showing, the first responders are showing. How do you train courage? If if you don't have courage, you shouldn't be in law enforcement. You know, mm -hmm. it's uh, you've, you've heard it a hundred times when everybody's running away, you're running in, just like the fire department does. Um, you you have to have that, otherwise you're not useful for the job. Yeah. And that's what you get trained to do, and that's what you get paid to do, and that's what you're expected to do. And if you do anything other than that, then you need to be removed. Mm. It's just, you know, such an amazing role that the police play. And, you know, I, I, we could have a whole nother show about that. Um, but I got to tell you, what, what I do, the way I try to show some gratitude to what people like you do, Chief, if I see a policeman in the line on Starbucks, you know, and I'm right behind them, I, I say to the people in Starbucks, don't let that person pay for anything. I got that coffee. I got whatever it is. Because... God, you guys put your life on the line all the time. I'm glad you said coffee and not donut, Joe. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, well, <laughs> well, that's that's a good point. But I never know what they buy. I just pay for it, you know. But but it's true, you know, you, the firemen, you get, everybody thanks a fireman. What's, what's that all about? You know, uh, we've got a wonderful fire department here in town. We've got a great working relationship, and, and they save lives, and they save property, and, and we're fortunate to have such a, a great uh, department. Um, you know, it, it's nice to be thanked uh, in policing. Um, we don't look for it. Uh, you know, there's been a movement over the last couple of years, uh, you know, from some groups 
um, about you know an anti-police movement and, and certain things going on but the majority of police officers are doing the right thing and um, you can't judge all of them for the actions uh, or wrongful actions of a few well I tell well, you that's I, true I think we've got an incredible right? incredible force here in Marshall under under your leadership you've been here for a long time and really appreciate the leadership yeah of we it. do yeah, thank you I, I want to get back to the gun part uh, just for a few more minutes so we, we've come come to an understanding that there are some people who absolutely don't want them, some people who do. Can we talk a little bit about that? What, what's your take on why people are so passionate? We've talked about the middle a lot, but why do some well, people... Well, you have the one side, you know, you're not going to take this gun from me unless it's in my cold, dead hands, right? So there, there's a lot of people in that group that are just, they just don't trust the government, right? So... You're going to knock on my door and you're going to come in and tell me how many guns I can have? Uh, I, I don't think so. Um, but then you have the folks um, on the other side that are saying, you know, guns cause injuries one yeah. way or another. So they're dangerous. They, somebody, they could get in the wrong hands. Um, they could find their way out into the, the black market, into the, into the bad guy's hands. So we got both sides. We have it. We have we, both sides. We, folks, we have had a great show, but we are out of time. That's a Dr. Joe show. Come on back next week. We don't know what we're talking about yet, but it's going to be good. Thanks. Vincent Van Gogh, cut off his ear.